electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, party like it is 1999. It's a once-in-a-generation run for the NASDAQ 100, but one name could be poised to dominate the new year. Is it China's Tesla killer? How a smartphone maker is hoping to rock Tesla's EV world. It is the moment crypto investors have been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. But could a Bitcoin ETF approval actually derail the crypto rally? Countdown to liftoff, intrigue swirling around the SpaceX launch of a top secret space plane. Plus, our next big prediction for 2024, this one may really surprise you. And eating good in the neighborhood, even for $800 a person. Why Applebee's is banking big on Times Square? People are paying up, so why not belly up or buckle up? It's just us, because last call is up right now. All right. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I am Brian Sullivan. We're going to get more on all of that ahead. But first up on 8 Live, last call tonight. Can't stop, won't stop. Stocks plowing higher again with the Dow posting its seventh record close this month. But the index everybody is probably keeping their eye on is the S&P 500. It's only 13 points away from its all-time high. We could hit that tomorrow to end the year on a record high note. The S&P 500 is now on track for its ninth winning week in a row, and that would be the longest win streak, if we get it, in nearly 20 years. Now, to say that the S&P 500 has had a monster year is a bit of an understatement, something we don't do a lot of in TV. Check out some of these stats. You're probably not going to hear anywhere else. 52 stocks in the S&P 500 have popped 50% or more this year. 12 stocks in the index have doubled this year. And that kind of boom has not happened in a decade, according to our friends from Bespoke Investment Research. Salesforce, Broadcom, Tesla, Palo Alto, AMD, Pulte Group, Carnival Cruise Lines, they've all skyrocketed. Uber and Builders First Source, they've also doubled. It's been smooth sailing for Royal Caribbean, up 163%. Shares of Meta, they've been out of this world. But the best performing stock in the S&P 500, you know it, I don't even have to tell you. It is NVIDIA, up a whopping 239%. So congrats to you if you have owned any or maybe all of these stocks. But what if you haven't owned them? You just missed it. Should you jump in now, even at record highs? Let's talk about that and more with our leadoff panel tonight, including Masonry Capital Management CIO and Managing Partner Mark Muhlenberg and StoneX Group Chief Strategist Catherine Rooney-Vera. Thank you. You got a lot of red on the screen for a green day here. I just want to throw that out there, by the way. Uh, Catherine, you say this is what you call, quote, weaponized FOMO, fear of missing out. What do you mean by that? 
Yes. And and I, that's the buzzword that's going around now, not coined by me, but it does make sense when you have uh, Brian, everything flying, you know, you have emerging markets, you have any risk asset really catching a bid across the board. And there's this indiscriminate buying. So I would be very, very cautious to those who say, you know, pursue the the, the stellar high flyers of 2023 because they're going to continue in 2024. I'm more hesitant. I think the best trade right now, right now, with the VIX being as low as it is, is to buy protection very cheap. It's kind of like life insurance, you know. You may not need to use it. Hopefully you don't. But if you have it and you've locked it in pretty cheap, you're very grateful that you did. Yeah, Mark, do you have any kind of an idea? I, I, I talked to somebody in the hedge fund world yesterday. They talked about liquidity. They talked about leverage, quants, falling interest rates, the U.S. dollar. Do we have any ideas? Don't say Santa Claus, please, or you can <laughs> if you want. What exactly is behind this pretty amazing eight-week run? Yeah, you know, I was watching an interview, Catherine, that you did on the show like six weeks ago, and one of the things you said was uh, it was going to take uh, an accident uh, or, or a blow up for the Fed to move. And I think we had that uh, about the beginning kind of, of November and of October. And, and so the response to that, there were liquidity issues in the long end of the curve. And the response to that was let's weaken the U.S. dollar. And so you've seen that happen. Um, the U.S. dollar started to get weak. Financial conditions started to get accommodative, um, you know, the last kind of seven weeks. Uh, and, and right as that happened, U.S. Treasury yield started to decline. And so I think all of that is linked um, for sure. And I'm not surprised at all uh, uh, what what transpired. And I'm not sure, you know, the next leg of this, I think, is is cuts by the Fed. Um, and, and so that that could propel this, uh, you know, going forward. There we go. Now, the, the red on the dollar chart and the T-bill yield just comes right out of your sweater. It's just like it was like a perfect <laughs> it was like a perfect flow right there, Mark. Mark, I'm going to come back to you on that because I do want to follow up. Do you think this is mom and pop? that are powering this rally, or as the person I spoke to yesterday believes, this is big institutions taking advantage of what you just said, easing of financial conditions, especially sort of under the hood of the market, and just goosing up these big leveraged bets. I, I, I'm not sure if it's mom and pop. I will just tell you as, you know, uh, as a value investor, like there are a ton of cheap stocks out there cyclical stocks, things that have beaten up, been beaten up, energy, et cetera. And, and if this continues um, and, and it portends well for economic growth, all of those things that I just mentioned are going to do really, really well. And so, you know, I yeah. look at this like this is 2000, this is 09, this is fall of 2020. Um, there are there are a lot of things to buy. And so I, I think there are other people like me who are seeing the same thing. Is one of those things to buy, Catherine, the small caps? Because people have been buying them up, the but only the last couple of weeks. They literally completely ignored the small caps for about two years. And suddenly they're winning the beauty pageant. It makes sense, Brian, if you're going to play the broadening out trade. You know, as Mark correctly mentioned, that, you know, this was an AI driven boom for 2023. So going into next year, if you're going to play the broadening out trade and you're operating under the assumption that perfect landing or soft landing, 
is going to happen is in fact currently happening, which you know I, I can I can buy, um, then that's the trade. The trade is industrials, it's materials, it's energy, it's small caps. Um, but I think the issue is we're going to come into you know potential for reacceleration of inflation if everything goes as planned. So I'm slightly more cautious. I do think that there's a good chance, Mark, that the Fed does start cutting. I wonder, I really wonder how much politics comes into play. I've heard other pundits say they could go as soon as March. March seems premature, but maybe so that they can get as far away from the election as humanly possible. Um, but I still think that the first cut would probably come uh, in June of next of next year. The risk, of course, and it's a rarity where the Federal Reserve cuts so close to an election, yeah. in a presidential election year. Well, so there's a lot of unknowns here. By the way, people think, oh, if you mention the Fed and politics in the same sentence, you must be putting your tinfoil hat on, break out the Reynolds wrap. No, Congressman <laughs> Ro Khanna, Ro Khanna, who's been on the show many times, very rational guy. Go look at some of his tweets. Recently, he's talking about Jay Powell. He's talking about how Powell screwed it up. He's talking about things like the election all in the same sentence. So I don't think you need to have that the tinfoil hat on there. But what if they don't? Catherine, what if they don't cut? What if the Fed doesn't cut or repivots back the other way? Does the market fall 10 percent just like it gained 10 percent? It's likely the Fed cuts next year. The question will be why under the expectation that the Fed cuts because inflation continues to move lower despite, uh, you know, and and recession does not occur. Equities boom. I think they go up another 10 percent because all of that money that's in cash and in money markets goes into equities. If the Fed cuts because we're in recession and there's a lot of tailwinds that are going to become headwinds. You know, we have real rates that are positive. We have student loan repayments. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, the labor market rolling over. Um, so I think there are headwinds here. But if we do get a recession and yields come down yeah. because of recession, Brian, equities do very poorly. Mark, quickly, what could be a surprise next year? If you had to like put something on your bingo card. I think that rates continue to come down as a reflection of higher economic growth. And that's going to catch everybody by surprise. No one's really positioned for that. Well, a lot of potential home buyers. You just made them very happy. Mark Mullenberg, <laughs> Catherine Rooney Vera. Happy New Year, Catherine. I'll see you in Miami January 4th for our live Miami wait. show. It's going to be great. It'll be awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. All right thank before you. we go, let's take a look at the stud and dud du jour inside the S&P 500. The big winner was Match Group. They are the owners of the dating app Tinder, among others. They got an upgrade. That stock rose, a stock that did not get any love today. Tesla fell 3%. After a Chinese phone company unveiled a new car. You heard that right. We'll get more on that later. We are just getting started on a live last call and coming up why a landmark moment ahead for Bitcoin could actually hurt the crypto rally. Plus, the next of our bold predictions for 24 with two big things likely to gain a whole lot of nothing over the next year. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, let's get to tomorrow's news tonight. And first up, some news breaking literally minutes ago, and it's more ballot trouble for Donald J. Trump. The former president has been disqualified from Maine's Republican primary ballot. That move being made by the state's Democratic Secretary of State. She's basing it on a provision in the 14th Amendment that bars people from holding office if they engage in, quote, insurrection or rebellion. Remember, Colorado State Supreme Court made a similar decision earlier this month, but Former president already back on the ballot there, state Republicans appeal to the Supreme Court. Next up, Google has agreed to settle a $5 billion consumer privacy lawsuit. Terms of the settlement have not been disclosed, but lawyers involved expected to present it to formally for court approval on February 24th. The lawsuit originally filed back in 2020, and it sought at least $5,000 in damages per person for violating federal wiretapping and California privacy laws. In the meantime, something in early January, maybe the U.S. could finally have its first spot Bitcoin ETF. That, of course, assuming that it is ever actually approved by the SEC. But even still, Bitcoin has had a very impressive run this year, more than doubling since January. Now, of course, the prevailing wisdom is that a Bitcoin ETF could send prices even more to the moon. But of course, this is Wall Street and investing. After all, weird things tend to happen. So is there a chance that an ETF approval could actually have the opposite effect and trigger a bit of a sell-off in Bitcoin itself? Joining us now for more is CNBC Crypto Markets and investing reporter Tanaya McKeel. Tanaya, good to see you. Thanks for staying late, by the way. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, this, you know, listen, the conventional wisdom is you get the approval, Bitcoin to the moon, diamond hands. But to my point, it's Wall Street. What are people telling you? Yeah, and the market does feel a little bit overheated. I mean, the whole second part of this year has been about this Bitcoin ETF. Um, There are some valid concerns that are starting to come up on Wall Street, though. I mean, Mm. number one, there is the idea that there just isn't as much interest in a Bitcoin ETF as everyone is saying. There are Bitcoin investment products on the market, like the Bitcoin futures ETFs that you see, um, as well as Bitcoin equities, which of course were the outperformer mm. to Bitcoin, despite its 150% run But those year. are still a little, a little fringy. Would you say that a Bitcoin futures thing? Yeah, I mean, the argument is that a spot Bitcoin ETF would just be better. But I think the argument is, You know, a lot of people still aren't interested in investing in Bitcoin. And just because an ETF becomes available doesn't mean that they're going to just because it's available. So what you might see instead is rotation out of those Bitcoin investment products into what would be the spot Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, you do wonder if people who it's kind of like early adopters in any technology, right? The early adopters, they go in, they don't care about the troubles, they buy it, they love it. And they become sort of, you know, proselytizers for that thing. You do wonder if crypto is the same way tonight, where it's like, you know, I want Bitcoin, so I'm going to buy Bitcoin. I don't need an ETF. And people that don't have any interest in in crypto or Bitcoin, to your point, just might ignore it. Don't care. I mean, Needham says that they put out this survey that actually showed that there wasn't much interest 
in a Bitcoin ETF from people who are already buying Bitcoin, that they would just prefer to buy it on something like Coinbase. And so that, you know, would actually... That, yeah, that does not bode very well. Looking <laughs> ahead, this yeah. is the tis the season for wild speculation and predictions. Is a Bitcoin ETF kind of considered the big thing, at least for early 24? Or is there something else, some other halving or, or whatever they call it? What else are we looking for from the crypto world next year? Yeah, you nailed it. The setup is strong. It Seems very idealistic, but let's say we do get a Bitcoin ETF in January. Mm -hmm. Shortly after, we get a Bitcoin halving, say April or May is when it's expected. And historically... That's literally going to happen. I just completely made that up. No, that's literally... Actually, I'm not joking. I just knew it had happened, and I just want to sound smart. It had happened four years ago. It's due to happen now. And historically, that's seen... Let's see, cycle three, 565% rise in Bitcoin after the last Bitcoin halving. I actually talked to Urien Timmer from Fidelity earlier Mm. this week, though. He's saying that Bitcoin might be so mature that the days of gains like that after the Bitcoin halving might kind of be a thing. I just feel so smart now. But let's not forget, Bitcoin (laughs) was at 60 grand. It was. Right. Stock market may be at record highs or close to it. 60. Over 60. Yeah. We got to. We're not there yet. We've had a great run. But uh, today, McKeel, we're going to look forward to you keeping us informed and making me sound smarter. So thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Still ahead, how a Chinese phone company has its sight set on Tesla. Call this a Xiaomi story. And we have it next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Yesterday, we talked about Tesla's growing competition from some Chinese EV makers, a threat that Elon Musk is very aware of. Now... There is another competitor that kind of just stepped onto the scene. It is China's electronics company called Xiaomi. It has unveiled its first ever EV. It is called the Xiaomi SU7. Now, the CEO says the car can apparently top Porsche's electric Taycan or Tesla's Model S on acceleration or other metrics. We'll believe that when we see it. But anyway, in a post on X, the CEO says, quote, We have prioritized intelligent tech, drawing inspiration from the advanced systems of cars like the Tesla Model S. Xiaomi SU7 offers advanced technologies and a supportive ecosystem to enhance your driving experience. Price of the Xiaomi 7 has not been finalized yet, but should Tesla investors be concerned there's all this growing competition in a massively important market for them, China, and maybe right here in the U.S.? Let's take it to your next guest. Joining us, Deepwater Asset Management Managing Partner Gene Munster and Wall Street Journal tech columnist and CNBC contributor Tim Higgins, also author of Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Bet of the Century. All right, so Tim, you got, you, got, uh, you know, BYD, Xiaomi, some others rolling out these EVs. They look nice. They got price tags. Some people have actually driven them around. But I think we got to be clear here. Scaling, manufacturing to scale, 
is hard, as Detroit is finding out. Are you a believer that China has already got this down and are a significant threat to Tesla in the near or short term? Yeah, as you say, metal bashing is is tough, right? Yeah. But I think if you just have to listen to Elon Musk and what he is talking about when he talks about the threat from China, and he sees that as a real uh, issue here in the future. So, yes, you're right. The first draft of some of these vehicles may not hit the mark, uh, but there is a lot of motivation there is a lot of uh, aspiration uh, to be a global player and uh, a lot of effort to kind of eat Elon's lunch. Yeah, I mean, the stock gene has been one of the best performing stocks this year. And th- these China issues are not some big secret. Xiaomi, the car, kind of being unveiled literally in the last 24 hours. But we knew Chinese competition was coming, whether it's BYD or Xiaomi or Dongfang or whoever it may be. This is and yet the market keeps buying Tesla. I think the market's uh, looking one to two years down the road, and this is all about what the delivery numbers are. We're going to get them on January 2nd. It's about guessing what they're going to be for 2024 and thinking that this anything that's going on in China is a light year away from uh, from an investor's mind, not Elon's mind, as as Tim had mentioned, but from investor's mind, it's a light year away. And so that's why Tesla has been working. That's why it will likely continue to work. I have one of my 2024 predictions is that Tesla will maintain their U.S. market share in 2024. Most Mm. people think that it will drop dramatically, but I think that traditional automotive are just in a really bad place. And when you fast forward a decade from now, I think you're going to see a repeat of what happened in the 70s and 80s. In the mid-70s, it was the Japanese car makers, and many Americans scoffed at that idea by 1989, the Honda Accord was the best-selling car in America. And it's hard to imagine that Chinese automakers are going to be find a, a receptive audience from U.S. car buyers, but political, uh, the geopolitical environment can change, it can warm. And I think that uh, you know Tesla should be concerned about these Chinese makers, should be yeah. concerned about what Apple's gonna do, and should not be concerned about what traditional autos can do. And they're moving in full throttle reverse. And, and Tim, I, I hate to bring politics into anything, but I, I think with this, you have to in a way, because obviously President Biden, uh, very close to the UAW, right? He was very supportive of the UAW. He came out for a couple of minutes during their, during their strike. I, w- I was there and supported them. The UAW, I'm sure, views cheap Chinese-made EVs as some kind of existential threat to Detroit. I just wonder if there's a chance that Chinese EVs don't ever make it to the United States. You know, it's interesting. I've been following the auto industry for a a long time now. And when I first got to Detroit, that was the the fear that it was about to arrive. It was the Chinese were just a few years away from uh, landing in the U.S. with their cars and they were going to take over everything just like the Japanese. And we haven't quite seen it yet. But there is a scenario where in some ways the U.S. market maybe gets left behind from the advances that the Chinese market is going to see. If you look at the new cars that the Chinese companies are making, they are almost like smartphones on wheels. And that's why it's interesting when you see a smartphone maker uh, get into the game. Uh, this is a market that wants that kind of technology uh, on the roadway. So it's yeah. almost as if we're watching some of the future being built in China for cars. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, Gene, didn't we at one point, I swear you and I talked about the the Apple car. Like, wasn't at some point Apple supposed to build a car you know, or something like this, and instead we got CarPlay. I think this this Xiaomi, which, again, to Tim's point, is a big phone company, just proves now that these types of cars are just basically computers 
with tires and you kind of get in and do the same thing. You think we could ever get like the Google car, like the Apple car? I think we're going to get, I would say, a 60% chance, better than greater greater than half, that we're going to see ultimately see an Apple car. And it's, wow. it's, uh, it's enticing at these moments to jump in and say this is going to happen sooner versus later. Apple's focus right now is at using their will of force to get Vision Pro to be part of our everyday lives. That's going to consume them for 24 and 25. But I do believe that they want to go after this. The car market is a $2.8 trillion market. When you're a $380 billion company and your business is not growing or growing at low single digits, you want to find big markets. They've been working on a car for nine years. Something is going to see the light of day. Don't know the timing on it, but this is a gift that's going to keep giving for tech followers. Yeah, it certainly is. Tim, uh, Apple, you got any predictions, whether it's cars, phones, watches? What can we look forward to in 2024? You know, it's interesting with the car and Apple. Apple wants to, when it brings out new products, it wants to kind of bring something that's not out there, that put its imprint, if you will. And one of the challenges with the car market is this is something that takes five, six, seven years to come to market. And we're seeing things move so quickly that it's very hard for some of these companies to kind of reach in the future and think where what's going to be possible? Where are we going to be at? If you go back 10 years, a lot of people in Silicon Valley here were thinking we're going to have autonomous cars. We're going to have fully self-driving vehicles and the whole world was going to change. And that technology hasn't developed as quickly as we anticipated. So if you're a company like Apple, predicting the future of the car is really hard. It certainly is. Uh, Tim Higgins and Gene Munster, guys, we appreciate it. I think this, this EV story, the Tesla story, is a story that keeps on giving because it is truly one of America's great industries and there's a lot of global competition out there. Gene and Tim, guys, if you don't see it, have Thank a happy you. new year. Appreciate you both. Thank you. All right, still ahead. Do you know the last time the NASDAQ 100 had a year this good? Well, Cher was topping the music charts with Believe. Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace, won the box office crown. And gas cost a mere $1.17 per gallon. Yep, it was 1999. So which NASDAQ 100 name stands to sing even louder in the new year? We'll talk about that coming up. All right, time to roll on with my predictions for next year. The four for 24, as we are calling it. Of course, these are all in good fun and... Maybe to stimulate some thought and debate with that snazzy graphic. Now, if you missed the last two nights, shame on you. But here's a quick recap. Prediction number four, some big solar stocks will bounce back and outperform the broader market. Prediction three, Brazilian equities will top, do better than, the U.S. market. And now to my second to last prediction for the new year. And that is that oil and natural gas will end the year lower than they are now. Yes, lower. Here's why I think that. Global oil demand is going to grow, but given China's economic disaster, it may grow less than expected. We'll find out. But oil supplies are plentiful, and we are now in America producing more than 13 million barrels per day. Brazil, which we just talked about, is closing in on producing 4 million barrels per day. And OPEC may have done all it can to control output levels among its members and allies, especially as Russia is basically producing and selling what it was, the same level, before the sanctions hit. Also, there is one part of the story that you may not have heard about oil, and that is China becoming an oil producer. Of course, China is a huge consumer of oil, 
But Citigroup recently noted how China would like to try to grow its own shale oil production because of national security reasons and others. Now, it's kind of a similar story with natural gas. Natural gas production is way up, and while demand is booming, the market is clearly well supplied. And while nat gas certainly is cratered from its peak of two years ago, the price of natural gas pretty much right now is the same as it was back in 2020 and also for a period of time in 2016. In other words, this level, about 250 whatever, is not unusual. Sort of factor all those things in, and it's hard to see a pop, at least a big one, for either oil or gas. Now, of course, that is absent. Some kind of huge escalation in the Middle East, if Iran or Iraq's, you know, seep into the story in a bigger way, all bets are off and oil probably skyrockets. But absent of that, there it is. Prediction number two, oil and natural gas end next year pretty much flat or lower than they are right now. Stay tuned tomorrow night for my number one prediction for next year. All right. Meantime, if you had predicted the Nasdaq 100 would jump 50 percent this year, please raise your hand and pat yourself on the back because we're not sure even the most bullish out there among you would have seen this coming. And the NDX, a.k.a. the Nasdaq 100, is having its best year since 1999's doubling of the index. But does anybody really expect the Nasdaq 100 to have this kind of year next year as well? Let's find out. Joining us now is Clio Capital Managing Partner, Sarah Kunst. Listen, Sarah, in 98... The Nasdaq 100 rose 85 percent, and in 99, it doubled. Can we expect another 50 percent jump next year? I would be shocked. I think that the fundamentals really aren't there. This was a rally that it wasn't like every company in the Nasdaq killed it this year. It was the Magnificent Seven. It was the companies that could really lean into that AI hype. Uh, And I don't know if we're going to see the AI promise quite as soon as next year. So I could be wrong. I missed the rally this year, but I don't think it's likely. Yeah, I I mean, anything could happen, but with 239% gains for NVIDIA, 100 and whatever it is for Meta, you never know. The momentum may be there, but are there any other sectors or stocks there that you and your team are looking at that have not gotten any love? I I mean, I I thought we're supposed to buy low and then sell high. No, you buy high and then you keep buying as it goes up. Go. I think that's the new rule. You know, I like I like some of the travel names, some of these legacy travel names um, like Expedia, like Booking. I think that that when you look at it, these are companies that actually make a profit, um, yet their P.E. ratios aren't insane. They're not necessarily super overvalued. Um, and, and travel is still on a tear. I think even though home buying is slowed down, there's a lot of pieces of the economy that aren't doing super well, but but travel still is. And these these names play everything. It doesn't matter if you're renting a car or if you're flying first class around the world, staying at the Four Seasons at every stop, they're going to make money on you. Yeah. And you know what's I, and these are from I'm going to quote you back to you. But but as somebody who's put in a lot of miles on one specific airline, I mean, a lot of miles. I feel like there's a trend, Sarah, where people are like, you know what? You've made it too hard to get points. The points are increasingly worthless. I never get upgraded. I feel like more travelers are becoming free agents, if that makes sense. Like, I know I've been mm-hmm. kind of sniffing around, usually when I go, you know, drag myself to Newark for one reason. And if that is the case, you wonder if that could be another reason an Expedia bookings could benefit, if indeed that does occur. 
Absolutely. When you when you only fly one airline or only stay at one hotel, which certainly used to be the case, particularly for big business travelers who had big corporate budgets, then you didn't necessarily need these aggregators. But now if you see a flight that's a tenth of the price of what you are willing to spend, and, and that's not unusual if you're going coast to coast or you're going international on another airline, sure, why not? And so as sort of travel hacking becomes a bigger thing, these aggregators get even more entrenched because you can't really figure out the cheapest and best ways to travel if you're just going from each operator's website. Yeah, and that's it. We'll see if that's that happens. Uh, Expedia booking two stocks that we are keeping our eye on, as well as, of course, the, the seven stocks that shall not be named. Sarah Kunz, thank you very much. Have a happy new year if we don't talk. Be well. All right, coming up, a top secret space plane Elon Musk, SpaceX, and a rocket launch cloaked with mystery. It's all happening in just moments. Why, why wouldn't you stick around? Welcome back. In just a few minutes, the U.S. Space Force and SpaceX will be launching the X-37B spacecraft in Florida. What the heck is that? Well, it's a secret military plane carrying out apparently rather mysterious research. The space plane operates autonomously, meaning there are no humans aboard. This is the space plane's seventh mission, but it's the first time the launch will be powered by SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket, one of the most powerful rockets in the world. It's also part of a doubleheader for SpaceX. Later tonight, the company is planning to send another batch of its Starlink satellites into orbit. Joining us now is Morgan Brennan. Covers, of course, all things defense and space. Co-anchor of Closing Bell, the host of CNBC's Manifest Space podcast, and apparently the owner of a very nice Christmas tree. Morgan Brennan. <laughs> I had to get creative in my house so I could join you tonight. So. I, I like it. We got we green. Are. We got green on the screen. The tree behind you. The stock charts are green. Everything's green. It's fantastic. Uh, Morgan, uh, what do we know about tonight? Because it's supposed to be like super secret. But if we're talking about it, how how secret is it? Uh, It's still pretty secret. And I will start, Brian, with what we do know. So X-37B space plane. This is a classified program. Its missions tend to be classified. This will be the seventh one. As of right now, it is systems go for liftoff with uh, a Falcon heavy rocket at 8.07 p.m. Eastern from Kennedy Space Center. That's going to be a 10-minute launch window. This has been delayed. There have been a couple almost launches that have been scrubbed over the last couple of weeks. Um, What's unknown is the mission's orbit. The length and duration of the mission is unknown, but we do know that there's going to be some tests. The Space Force at least told us that much in a recent press release. They said we're going to, they're going to be operating the reusable space plane in new orbital regimes. They're going to be experimenting with future space domain awareness technologies and investigating the radiation effects on materials provided with NASA. Those materials are seeds, seeds for things like lettuce, tomato, et cetera, to see if you know humans ever do start to colonize Mars, what that's going to look like in terms of radiation effects on agriculture. But as I mentioned, this is the seventh flight, that seven mission, seventh mission we've seen for this super secretive space plane. These missions tend to last years. When they come to an end, this mm-hmm. plane, which is about the size of a bus, and it it's built by Boeing, and it looks like 
a mini space shuttle. When the missions come to an end, it glides down to Earth and it lands on a runway like a plane. Because there's so much secretiveness around this, it is very much a big focus of aerospace enthusiasts. Let me ask so this you, no, probably, and forgive me, I'm going to ask, it's probably a dumb question. Okay, we ended the space shuttle program. I think, you know, the, the planes are getting older. We kind of did, I probably felt like we did most of what we could. How does that, which you are right, this thing does look kind of like a, the space shuttle, shuttle's cousin. How is this different than the space shuttle? What are we trying to do here differently than before? Well, so, so it's very different. This is uncrewed. It's autonomous. Um, it's much, much smaller. As I mentioned, the duration of these missions in the past, the last one, for example, um, that ended in 2022 was more than 900 days long. We don't know all of the missions that are involved in this because it is classified, it is run by the military, but we know there's a lot of cutting edge technology experiments involved in this. And just to give you a sense of perhaps why it's secretive and why the stakes are high, just two weeks ago, almost exactly to the day, the Chinese launched their version of a space plane, the Shenlong, Similar situation. We really don't know anything about it other than the fact that it was launched. And as General Saltzman, who runs the U.S. Space Force, said recently, the Chinese are extremely interested in our space plane. We're extremely interested in theirs. These are two of the most watched objects on orbit when they're on orbit. And it's probably no coincidence that they're trying to match us in timing and sequence of this. So all of that kind of adds to some of the intrigue around what exactly this plane, which, by the way, is designed to be undetectable and can maneuver in many ways, apparently, on orbit, uh, speaks to perhaps some of what's going on there. Maybe spy plane. There's all mm. kinds of speculation, which, again, is why it's captured the enthusiasm and curiosity of so many folks out there. How could it not? I mean, we had anybody remember the, the, the Chinese spy balloons just kind of floating all over the United States? <laughs> Either way, Morgan, Starlink, the launch that's not a secretive. What are these Starlink satellites? What are they going to just more internet around the world? That's right. More internet around the world. What's This is pretty incredible for SpaceX in of itself because we've been talking about this space plane, but for SpaceX, they have between the two launches tonight, which in of itself is wild, that you would have two separate launches about three hours apart. They have another one before the year is out. And that would bring the total to 97 launches just for this company just this year. They would break their own record for launches. Um, many of them this year have been for Starlink, which is that broadband, space-based broadband service, which for SpaceX um, you know, is growing rapidly, represents from an investor standpoint a big, huge opportunity. There's been a lot of speculation that Starlink at some point could be spun out as an IPO, Elon Musk recently poured some cold water on that and basically said he's in no hurry to do it. But this is part of the reason why even in the private yeah. markets, you're seeing SpaceX command such a high valuation uh, among investors. I love it. And, you know, when I heard X-37B, though, I don't know if you remember, you're not as old as I am. Remember the, remember the Bugs Bunny, the space alien, the P-38 <laughs> space modulator? Like, that's all I, that's all I have in my head because I'm also going insane. Morgan Brennan, thank you. Great stuff. Thank you, Brian. All right, you're welcome. Let's get down to our quicker than the ticker. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. 
Cheddar News, the financial streaming service sold by Altice USA to Archetype Media. Archetype is owned by the private equity firm Regent. Terms of the deal not disclosed. Staying with the media, the top five most watched TV networks of the year among total viewers and according to Nielsen Art, our NBC colleagues coming in at number one. All right. CBS and ABC rounding out the top three. Fox and Fox News closing out the top five. Swifties helping give vinyl record sales a huge boost in the UK. Vinyl sales hitting the highest level since 1990. That according to a British trade association, 1989 Taylor's version sold the most copies so far this year. From one Grammy winner to another, a 21-foot bronze sculpture of Shakira just unveiled in her hometown of Barranquilla, Colombia. The sculpture paying respect to her iconic belly dancing pose because she's worth it. L'Oreal heir Francois Bettencourt Myers became the first woman with a $100 billion fortune, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. And that's all the time we've got. Now, $100 billion. What would that be like? All right, coming up. Sure, celebrating New Year's Eve can get a little expensive, but guess what? Apparently nobody in New York seems to care. We're going to talk about one of the deals that is sold out and the owner of the Applebee's behind it will join us. All right, welcome back. If you live in the United States, chances are there's an Applebee's near you. There's over 1,400 across the country, but none quite like the ones in New York's Times Square. And guess what? People are paying upwards of $800 or maybe even more to party and eat good in that neighborhood. See what I did there, Zane? Some people are doing exactly that because both Applebee's locations in New York's Times Square are offering New Year's Eve celebrations. They began, I think it's $650, but are now over $800 per person. Now, before you get all jumpy, you get a lot more than your typical Applebee's experience. You get open bar, dinner, buffet, live DJ. Probably most importantly, you get an escort to watch the ball drop right outside the restaurant. So let's bring in the the mad genius behind this because whatever he's doing is working, and that is the owner of Apple Metro. They own a number of Applebee's franchises, and that is Zane Tankle. Zane, great to meet you in person. Thank you, Brian. Same. Same here. Um, so you, you own both these Applebee's. Yes, sir. I was in Times Square this morning for Squawk Box, and I'll be back there tomorrow morning. By the way, we talked about this, so thanks for coming on. No. I was a little bit shocked at the price point, not because it's Applebee's, but because I'm, I remember it was like 200 300 bucks. 800 and you and you have plenty of demand. We're we're oversold. We'll have 600 people at each location, 50th and Broadway and 42nd and Broadway. It, coincidentally, they're the two largest Applebee's in the world and we are sold out and uh, the phone's ringing off. The, as we get closer to New Year's Eve every year, we started this about 15 years ago, yeah. Brian. And as we get closer, because people come to New York and they, oh, and they find they can't see the ball, and now the phone starts ringing off the hook. And I, you started at six fifty a person, correct? Correct. The Post yeah. reported on correct. that, but when I looked, I saw eight forty nine. Where are we right now? But you're sold out, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If a ticket were to come on the market from you, not like a can people scalp these, by the way? No, no, because it's all on our computer. We take their name. We want to know their dress. We want to know all about them in the background. No, not at all. Okay, now we think of Applebee's as kind of, you know, casual, family dining, some fun, good bar. This is a much more upscale. I saw the menu. It's a much more up. What am I getting for my 800 bucks? Okay, you're getting 
all, all coal liquor, what we call liquor, brand liquor, mm-hmm. as much as you want. Well, be careful out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, believe it or not, most people are pretty guarded about it, although we do get, you know, that ding dong. But most of the people, Brian, interestingly, have come from out of the country. They come from Australia. They come from all of Western Europe. They come from the Midwest. Very few, if any, maybe none. No tickets are sold in the New York metropolitan area, ironically. Uh, Having said that, you also can't get to see this ball drop. If you're from the New York. I think for the 800, though, my guess is, Zane, you get the most valuable asset of all. And it's not food. It's not drink. And it's not even the ball. You know what it is? You. I I wish. (laughs) We'll talk next year, Zane. And we'll talk next year. You get access to a clean, safe toilet. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm not. People think I'm being weird. No, I'm not. You're, uh, you, I'll tell you a really quick, quick story. Yeah. I was in the restaurant three years ago. It was below zero. And I, I pick up the phone and it's a woman. She's been standing out in Times Square from China, from Hong Kong, uh, for eight hours waiting for the, and they had a front row seat. She's with her family, but she had to use a bathroom. And could she come use it? I said, we're sold out. How much? I said, $1,200. you have any tickets? One seat? Yeah, I could get one seat in there. She paid $1,200 to use the bathroom. Because you can't, there's nowhere, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's, if you're in the little pen and they pen you in, the, you know, you so can. you get an escort out, you get an escort in. That alone is, is worth a lot of money, minus the food and, and beverage. Look, while I have you here, Zane, you guys are, are frequently named the number one Applebee's franchisee in the United States. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Thank you. How do you see macro consumer? Like outside of this, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> normal Brian. Applebee's. <laughs> Brian, it's it's it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I honestly, I, how the consumer is spending the money that they're spending today. What was a seven fifty dollar hamburger is a twenty five dollar hamburger today, and we are Applebee's, but. The consumer seems to be energized. They seem to have some discretionary income. And instead of going away, it, it would appear and flying somewhere, they're coming to an Applebee's. We not only are in Manhattan, we're in Bed-Stuy, we're in East New York, we're in the Bronx, all the boroughs. And people are, we're, we're, we're having by far the best year we ever had this year. Really? Yes. The best year we've ever had? That's best year. Amazing. I, I like to hear it, but it is, I have to say, we all kind of talk about it a lot internally. It is a bit surprising, but Zane Tankle, happy new year, by the way. Well, thank you, Brian. And it's great to meet you in person. I know you're a big CNBC fan. You I do am. the NASDAQ with I us. Am. So great to meet you. Uh, thank, thank you, you. So much. All right, folks, I'll see you tomorrow night on Last Call. I'll see you tomorrow morning on Squawk Box and probably some other shows. See you tomorrow. Have a good night. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.